you're out. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch on the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. This week we're discussing the 19th episode of Twin Peaks, Masked Ball. Featuring so many masks and balls that you just can't yeah, what even... Is that? What does that mean? <laughs> I don't think it features any yeah. of those No things. masks, no balls. No masks, no balls. Um, but like four masked balls, weirdly. Yeah, strange. Um, <laughs> it was directed by Dwayne Dunham. It was written by Barry Pullman. It first aired December 15th of 1990. Do you recognize those names? No. No, I don't either. Um, I feel like Barry Pullman has been on the staff before. Yeah. Um, it's crazy that we're still in 1990 for all of these. It feels like the show is so far through its... Yep. Oh, the director of this episode was an editor on Wild at Heart. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Okay. Uh all right, so in this episode, the investigation into Cooper continues as an unexpected and expected newcomer joins in. Uh, James become, becomes embroiled in a story only he can, and the mill plot just keeps on going. Yep. Uh, so we open this up. This episode Do you have any thoughts overall here, Chris? Way. Okay, we're just going to... Okay. It's fair. One's <laughs> thoughts on this episode could be summarized in the opening, which is some some sweet... 12-bar blues on a guitar as James just yep. hits the open road. Yep. You know, actually a really nicely filmed Yeah, opening. it's an awesome outdoor Ex- shot ruined on this cheeser. Yep. Man. Man. The best part of it is is towards the end of that. Okay. Oh, is it his face? Is it James's face at James's the very face, end? James's face. He's got this almost grimace, which I, I'm sure if you're riding Right, where he's just like, bike, this shot like, has okay, been going on fair for enough, a long-ass like, time. But, my face is stretching off. Yeah. But still, we can't ignore the fact that it's that face on James's face. Yeah. It cannot be ignored. Um, also, in between, like in the middle of this shot, David Duchovny's name is in the credits for the first time, which I have to imagine if you're watching this now and you don't know it's coming, that would be a it's, surprise. It's hopefully a welcome surprise for you if you're like, oh, Twin Peaks feels like maybe it's leveling up. Oh, shit. Yeah. David Duchovny is showing up in this show now. Yep. Yeah. Um,. So you want to and talk- man, thank God David Duchovny shows up in this episode because what a high point, in my opinion, at least of yeah, this. I'll be yeah, I'll be interested to talk about that yeah, whole thing. Me too. So, um, which I guess we can just we can basically get to pretty soon because the all the stuff with Cooper and the investigation and sort of its relationship to the Briggs stuff, I think, is there's more scenes about that those combined threads than about anything else in this episode. That is probably true. Um, Although it feels like there's quite a lot of. The time dedicated to James and Nadine this episode, yeah, I would say. That's true. Um, so it opens with Betty Briggs, the, the major's wife. Uh, Bobby's mom. Bobby's mom. Weird, I know. It's weird to me that that Bobby is the child of those two, but yep. he is. Uh, she says he talks about the woods constantly. And Cooper, this is just a minor goofy note. This is not an important observation. Cooper asks if she, if like, if he's been attempting to contact something in the woods and she's like, oh, that's classified. classified. I can't talk about that. And then as she's leaving, she's like, anyway, he has a bunch of notes that might be relevant to this. I'll just bring those over. (laughs) Where's the classified line? I can't share. That's classified. But all of his personal documents on the matter, (laughs) maybe she's really just like, it's a letter of the law situation where it's like his actual specific research 
is technically classified, but the journal he keeps at home where he talks about his job all the time. <laughs> that thing that violates his classic or his classified like, work. But like a verbal acknowledgement is <laughs> it's classified and those aren't. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. I like that I like that she says that he sees himself as a Renaissance man. Uh I I wonder how much of this side of the character was that side of major Bre- I don't know. I would be really interested to read about, and maybe this is maybe there's some of this present in that book, that reflections in oral history on Twin Peaks. I would be curious to know about the evolution of the creation of the Major Briggs character. Yep, because I think he's a really interesting character, and I feel like in most shows that guy wearing that outfit all the time, whenever you see him, would be only one half of the character that exists on this show. Yep. And I'm not so crazy about all of all of where it's going right now. But, you know, in the the mythos yeah, world. Yeah. But 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 there's a lot of really good stuff with Briggs. Yeah. Well, just his personality, I definitely feels like it evolved from his sort of early lectures to Bobby and how that actor delivered them up mm-hmm. to where he is yeah, now. Yeah, you're character. probably right. That's the moment really where it totally opens up. Yeah. Yeah. Like God, not I even the stuff with scene. his dream, but just his really 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 early stuff like in the first couple episodes. Like mm, he just yeah. All his early stuff with Bobby is just those weird introspective monologues, but some of it probably must have come out of the char- the actor too. Just he had, yeah, well, just the way that he, totally the way buttoned, that he presents buttoned that stuff. up, but also extremely gentle. Yeah, it was a really nice, really nice contrast. Uh, anyway, um, but now he's gone from the show, so now he's just <laughs> off doing classified things. Um, so yeah, Gordon Cole. We get another Gordon Cole scene. That's always fun. Yes. Uh, says that Dennis Bryson is coming to investigate. Um, I I wanted to just point out a thing that Cole said, which is a couple of words of advice. Let a smile be your umbrella. Yeah, that seems like it's just what has now become one of Gordon Cole's things, which is just saying weird things that Cooper then goes, oh, thanks, Gordon. And it's like, is that code for something or is it just actually Gordon giving him really good advice? It's also to me what it exists in that in that space between David Lynch playing a character and maybe just David Lynch. Right. I could just somehow weirdly right, see where you could David see he has genuine affection for some stupid little card that he has there where right. that actually says that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's an amazing shot of an Apple laptop computer that I assume you enjoy. Oh yeah, no. Okay. So <laughs> what like I'm a fucking Gordon Cole sucker, so I have to just say when Cooper okay. says, who is the DEA sending? And then he says, it's Gordon. It's Gordon Cole. Like, that made me really happy. <laughs> there's an incredibly long pause. Yeah. Who is the DEA sending? And there's just this, like, just dead nothing. air for, like, just, ten seconds. It's Gordon. It's Gordon, Gordon Cole. Cole. It's like, he, yeah, yeah, he, like, <laughs> trying, trying to cover up the fact that he thinks that he might have, Cooper might have just asked who's calling. Oh, man. It's good. But, yeah, I definitely just wrote down at the end of this, cut to, and then in all caps, Macintosh portable. Because it was just, like, suddenly a shot of just, like. Yeah, it's huge. One of the least iconic, but now historically kind of secretly super iconic looking designs for a Macintosh <laughs> computer of just, like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. Remember that time when there was a briefcase that had an lcd display that had a mac that was a macintosh i guess what a anyway um that yeah the thing that was funny to me about it is that the the fundamental design which is a sort of wedge that is widest in the back and tapers to the front and has a huge just like chunky protrusion out in the back behind the hinge is actually what the powerful gaming laptops we use at work look like yes 
it's anyway, that's a modern coming styles coming back. Um, let's see. Um, that might've actually been, uh, an Apple II portable and not a Mac. I'm not sure. But anyway, who cares? That would be really odd. Um, yeah. So that was the most notable thing in that entire scene to me. <laughs> I, uh, there, there's the, there's the scene where, um, Oh, it was a Mac. There's a scene where, <laughs> thanks, Jake, <laughs> where Cooper's talking to Roger and those other two guys, um, and they're, they're the ones with the computer, right? They're the ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. that's they're it's they're investigating Cooper using a really yeah. like that's really expensive gear. Was um, that was that the scene? Am I misremembering this, or is that the scene where Cooper is in a shirt and tie but no jacket? I can't remember. I feel like that's not this scene. Okay, it well, it, it's it's if it's not, it's the next scene in this thread, but uh, with Cooper. And so I'm just going to talk about it. Okay. It was just crazy to me. It made him look like a totally different person. It made him look so much more casual and off the job. And I guess that was probably intentional. And it was, I was like, man, is that a different color shirt than he normally wears or something? But like, no, he no, wears he's just blue not, shirts. He's just not he's just framed not, in black. It, like yeah, he usually is. really, yeah. it makes him look really different. And then later in the episode, um, when he's at the wedding, he's wearing the suit and the shirt but the shirt has the top button unbuttoned and he's not wearing a tie. Right. And that also makes him look totally different in yep. a different way. It's I, that was fascinating to me. I mean, it's, it's that character, uh, at least up to this point, does not really have costume variation. Yep. Yeah, like um, he's still the same from the neck up. Like he still does his hair exactly the same way right. and stuff, but just, yeah, he's just kind of going like 10% more mm-hmm. casual in all yeah. other ways. And then that, that increases as the series goes on, but yep. yeah, we'll talk about that later. I thought it was, so we talked last week about, um, that dialogue that was cut between Cooper and Major Briggs about love versus fear. I thought it was yeah. interesting that Cooper made a callback to that stuff in this episode because he tells the investigation team, I'm talking about seeing beyond fear, Roger. I'm talking about looking at the world with love, which is mm. the advice that Major Briggs gives him in the script that was not shot or put into the episode. You're so totally Cooper, right. So that's now, that's now officially ascribed to Cooper. Yeah, which is kind <laughs> of a bummer. Yeah, that is kind of a bummer. Because had he been saying, like, I'm taking the advice that Major Briggs gave me, that, that scene would have had way more meaning and not just been bad sort of Twin Peaks, like, yeah. new agey stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. But, yeah. Hmm. It, it, it totally I didn't pick out. up on that, but you're totally right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because I, I, yes. Yes, you're right. Um, but yeah, within the actual work that is Twin Peaks, that's just Cooper... Just being, just being cool. Exactly right. I think that's why it didn't stand out to me as much. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of things related to that, when we get to Hawk talking about this, man, I was not the most crazy about Hawk talking about quote my people, and then, then and but then there's all this like made up Twin Peaks crap, right? Like it seems like that's that's it's if you want right. to actually maybe by his people he means the Bookhouse Boys because Truman <laughs> also believes in it, so that's what he's talking about. It's fine. It's not. It's not that it's not that for some reason he knows about a white lodge and a black lodge. Right. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's uh, it was just <laughs> every spirit must pass through it on the way to con- perfection. There you will confront your shadow self. My people call it the dweller on the threshold. And then Cooper's like, ah, the dweller on the threshold. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. If you face the black lodge with less than perfect courage, it will annihilate your soul. So that that. This bothered me for two reasons. One, because the the sort of just like lazy appropriation of Native American kind of tonality, right? right. Just like, oh, it seems like a thing, maybe, maybe. Uh, that that was – They probably have yeah, this. Yeah, those people like, yep. <laughs> is, is what it sounded like to me. 
there's that. And then there's also just how incredibly literal it is in the sense that it sounds like a video game quest or like a, like a King Arthur thing. Like if you face it with less than perfect courage, it will annihilate your soul. It just sounds like a, like a, there, there is a prophecy rule book yeah. that is, that is not the cooler part. We're definitely getting into the place in Twin Peaks. I feel like, I mean, I, I don't have to feel like it because it is objectively true. We're getting into the place in Twin Peaks where it tries to introduce a bunch of lore and it tries to introduce a bunch of mysteries. And this portion of the show is just confirmed more on the nose and more ham-fisted and just less well-considered than the entire first sort of two-thirds of the show. Because, yeah. like, sort of the other part of that in this episode is that we're starting to finally delve a little farther into the Wyndham Earl storyline where Cooper gets that tape from him and he starts talking and it's like, we have this lore about a black lodge and a white lodge. It's just a soul annihilating trial. And then, and then like sort of the new villain of Twin Peaks is a guy who just is a, like uses chess analogies as if he's (laughs) saying something intelligent and like super cunning and like deep. Man, we've gone from Laura Palmer and Leland and Bob to a villain who's like, and I might even sacrifice the king. It's like, <laughs> oh, come on. I think we're 60s Batman. Like, yeah. what is going on? It's true. So, like, it's, oh, man. Yeah. Like, Cooper was just like, oh, this chess stuff is so intriguing. It's like, no, it's not, dude. <laughs> like, a chess analogy? Yep. Like, this is, oh, it's Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. It's not what we should be doing. So, the writer of this episode must have been really into, uh, like Richard the third, because when there's Wyndham Earl, the King must die. Yep. And then, um, Ben quotes Richard. The, okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Richard the third. I didn't actually look this up, but I, <laughs> right. When he's quote, he's quoting all that stuff in the, he's, uh, the, now is the winner of our discontent made glorious summer or whatever. Like, isn't, why did I spend two seconds looking this up so that I could just not wonder it aloud to myself? Uh, anyway, we'll talk, I want to talk about it later because I don't want to interrupt. But it is Richard the third. Okay, good. I loved that stuff as cheesy as it was, and I'll tell you why later, but we'll get to that. The Ben Horn stuff? Yeah. Yeah, same, but we'll oh, okay, talk, that, talk about yeah. that in a minute. Um, anyway, for now, uh, you, want to, you want to talk about Denise Bryson, the yeah. Duchovny character? Because she gets here basically right in between the stuff we're talking about right now. Yeah. Yeah. Denise Bryson is, a, is another thing in this show where I can't tell what the writers actually thought Me too. they were doing, yeah, but David Duchovny... Like totally kills it in my opinion. I agree by just playing the character straight, but like being being cheeky occasionally, but in a way that feels really honest and not like it feels internal to the character and yes. not yes. and not commentary on the fact that there is like a cross dressing character on Twin Peaks. Like it feels someone in the forums said it feels like the writers of the show didn't even really know if they were writing a transgender character or a transvestite or what they were writing. I they totally were agree. Of, I think, David, like, yes. what? I think David Duchovny does far more justice to the character than the writers do. Yeah. I think the writers – I completely agree with you in the poster on the forum. Like they did not know what character they were putting in. They thought maybe it would just be funny or something. But I, yeah, I but think they, that David Duchovny brings and a lot Colin more. Lachlan actually and Colin McLaughlin actually plays totally straight face where it's just yes. like – you're Denise. Good. Yes. Rolling with this. Absolutely. Yeah. Good, to, good on yes. you. Like, right. There's the three different reactions where, where uh, Cooper. I mean, Cooper is obviously surprised, which is totally understandable. Like, yeah. Someone you've known for a long time shows up with basically a different identity. That's fine. Um, but takes no time to acclimate to it. Like, is professional and respectful and like friendly and 
genuine. Yeah, um, he's also just then, kind of stoked. Like he's also just yeah, like you're happy. Cooper awesome. likes people expressing themselves yeah. in a genuine way. Yes, uh, and then Truman like makes like a couple cracks under his breath, and then Hawk, Hawk is just like I don't Hawk know what to is do just with like this. Uh, yeah. Um, so the thing that is that is unclear to me about Denise, which is why I think the writers didn't know what they were doing here, is that. So Denise refers to herself as Denise and she like that. She seems to, to adopt a, a woman's identity, but also like refers. It just, it's unclear to me what we're supposed to take from like, she talks about the, she talks about the way that she like, came to this undercover by by way of a, a, a like a sting against a client who likes transvestites so she had to wear women's clothing right. found out that felt really comfortable and then just didn't stop right but then it's like what but, what does that mean yeah and exactly i think it's just i mean twin peaks is is like she doesn't up- talk about sort of d- having an identity that she discovered or like that right. was it, at odds with itself i think the show also life. just comes from an era before that was ever really a thing that anyone ever talked about? I mean, like, I feel like Twin Peaks, this is way too far of a jump back, but like, or at least people outside of that community. Yeah, yes. I mean, just mean like a thing that's on network TV is not going to be created by or discuss any of that, any of the sorts of things that someone inside that community would actually discuss. Like, I feel like the touch point for this is probably something insane, like the Ed Wood movie Glenn or Glenda about someone yeah, who likes right. wearing women's clothes, right, you know, right, like right. that. Sure, yeah. But like, it holds up surprisingly well compared to Hawk talking about the White Lodge and his people. For instance, as far as the thing on Twin Peaks that that, <laughs> that the takes da- a marginalized community and yeah, and then just goes <laughs> woof. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right about that. But like, and I, partially because I think part of the reason for that is that gender identity is something that is a lot more fluid than like what did specific tribes right, like? Did yeah. they actually believe this? This is not really a thing. Yeah, it, like that's yeah. It's still. Yeah, I, I was like bracing myself the entire time that stuff was going on. I was like, oh, okay, that was actually handled way better than I thought. But it is it is mostly, I feel like, because those two actors actually just completely... Yeah, they commit just, to it. They just go yeah, for it. for sure. I, I and they, they neither of them treat it as funny. They just treat it as like, cool, this is good. Mm-hmm. It was... I agree. Also, just David Duchovny is good in that character regardless of like any issues of yeah, identity no, no, or anything. No, I agree. Like, he's he's, just, like, he has a really nice way about about himself in that role. Where he, um, like as Denise, is himself kind of, uh, I think, understanding that that people are going to be surprised by this and sort of takes a light touch, right? But, but he's also, also isn't shying away. Right, he's know? also occasionally f- like flirty with someone, exactly. But then yeah. at the same time, he's also like Cooper. The cocaine found in your car matches the cocaine that we have, and it's right. like, oh shit! Also, yes. you're still a fucking yes. DEA agent. Denise like is this is just like a professional, strictly like, business yeah. going on. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I don't know that. Mm-hmm. Like that whole wedding reception scene, not my favorite thing, except a couple of things. Um, one, the way that, like Cooper and Denise being inside of that was just like I thought it was really good because it gave Duchovny a bunch of stuff like to play off of and just sort of embrace the tone of that of like just weird shit happening. Like mm-hmm. I feel like there were just like asides that were going on that were good. And then I also, even though I don't like any of the storyline, I liked what is the name of the of the guy getting married? Doug. What's the last name? They kept calling it the. Um, I can't even remember. 
what was it? Whatever. Um, it's Dwayne and Doug, but I don't remember their last name. Yeah. Because I don't care about this at all. <laughs> I know. Oh, Milford. I just oh, yeah, liked. Right. I just liked the log lady saying, "I love a Milford wedding." Because it at least like. Oh, that's true. It's her a, saying yeah. that like surprisingly seeded this stuff back into the context of Twin Peaks for me, even though I really like my brain completely rejects it. It was at least like mm-hmm. her saying that at least kind of gave some credence to this not just being slapped in, where it's like, but sure. but yeah. it is, and yeah. it's dumb. Uh, I also like the actor who plays the old guy who's not getting married. I think he's really good. Right. <laughs> yeah, he is good. That's uh, that's Dwayne. Yeah. The character is Dwayne. Um, at the end of the at that of that scene, so I don't really have very much else to say about the two brothers stuff. But Doug says, "Sheriff, arre-, he's the one who's getting married." Says, "Sheriff, arrest this woman. She's too beautiful to be living in this state." Yeah. Is that a burn on Washingtonians? Like, what is I that supposed to mean? <laughs> like, I don't know. People like what. <laughs> I liked when he was being escorted out by Truman. He says, you know that I've had problems here all these years. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just, it, it is good old man writing in the way that the room service waiter had some really good old Although man that was writing. Although that was the other guy, right? That was Dwayne, right? Hmm? That was the, oh, yeah, yeah, that's Dwayne. Yes. Yeah. yeah no, you're right. But I don't anyway, know. That's all I have to say about those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't have to talk about, about. Oh, there's another Pete in a suit looking uncomfortable. So, like, when and when Dwayne is complaining about Doug, uh, Pete is sitting there listening and just doing his classic Pete thing where he's, like, arching his eyebrows like crazy, yep. wanting to jump out of his skin. I actually really felt bad for Pete in that because I, I read that as Pete is missing Catherine and just wishing that she could just be there. That was, mm. for some reason, my read on that scene right. was, like, Pete would she be would so probably much more say comfortable something cutting or... yeah, if he could just sit there and Catherine could be the shield for right. all this stuff. But instead, <laughs> he's so just, true. like, looking around and squinting and, like, his eyebrows are going crazy. <laughs> That's true. He's got that log lady there. Yeah. Oh, I guess he's got the log lady. Yeah, not she's no Catherine. Um, all right. I don't know. You want to get Nadine out of the way here? Yeah. I don't know what this I mean, I <laughs> the rest of this all the rest of this Yeah. It's just what I have next in my notes. Yeah, no. Na- what do we <laughs> I don't even have anything to say though, I just realized about it. <laughs> Mike's got the cutest buns. Oh man, okay. That moment was the best moment of the Nadine storyline just because um Donna, like the laugh at that seems really genuine, yeah. which I really liked. And yeah. then the rest of it was just like, okay, whatever. But yep. like, she's super strong still. Yeah, I yeah, thought it was. Also, I thought Laura Flynn Boyle actually held her on really well in that scene, yeah, even though it was insane. It's true. I also completely forgot that she ever went out with Mike. I don't. Uh, I did. I even ever know that at all. I don't know. <laughs> so so baffling. Anyway, she's on the wrestling team now because she has super strength. Yeah. All right, so that's that. Um, you want to talk about James? Yeah. So James, it's okay if I punch this box <laughs> before we go or oh, whatever. Man, he said. Yeah, in the in the roadhouse. Yeah, it's yeah. not the roadhouse. It was. Oh man, it was an. It, oh, was what an, was it called? That was an all new bar, Chris. Yeah, you're right. I can't remember what it was called. The sign was huge for like 30 seconds, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, let's let's remember what it is. It's Wally's Hideout. Oh, that's true. With a hyphen. I think it was just Wally hideout. It was it was something. It weird was Wally's where... without an apostrophe. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's uh. Yeah. Yeah. There was that cool car outside. This feels like it's trying to like embroil James in a like film noir conspiracy situation or something. But it was just like, what is happening? Yeah. The the I actually said what is happening three times out loud <laughs> alone during this scene. <laughs> 
we're just okay. So the the I know we can't not talk about Fire Walk with me, but it was really strange when James put that music on on the jukebox, and it was just that overwhelming. <laughs> Like, like crazy <laughs> it sounded like the music in the bar and fire walk with me. Yeah. Like it was just because I'm sure it's just bad lamenty writing loud, crazy well, jazz. Doesn't, doesn't that also happen earlier in the series? Doesn't um, just that crazy overwhelming tune. Uh, I can't remember if it's the exact same music or not, but um, there's a moment much like episodes and episodes ago where Audrey, right, turns on the jukebox. And it and it just goes into the like cr- crazy. Oh, maybe I don't. Like, I don't remember. I'm sort sure of Halloween jazz music. Yeah. It's kind of or like Halloween like rock music. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, but it, like the, the the crazy warbly organ. Man, think about what this arc would have done had that music gone on, and then it had actually turned into like them yelling with subtitles as like people start taking off their clothes in the background and a strobe light goes off. Like, <laughs> what does that mean? If, if, the, if when James turned that music on, it just fully went into the fire walk with me bar scene and just oh. his arc took a really <laughs> surprising turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, that's not what happened. Instead, he's fixing that car before he, husband he, gets home. Hold on. I'm not done with this. <laughs> okay. <previous> scene. Uh, <laughs> he puts on this like ridiculous music and then basically starts having a spiritual experience to yeah, it. Yeah, doesn't like he, just, he, t- he sort of just like leans down on the jukebox and closes his eyes and stuff? Yeah, he closes like- his eyes and kind of like tilts his head up and does the thing you do when you're like, you're like really oh, just connecting yeah. with the music. Just with a like, blah, <laughs> blah. Um, and then, okay, so before that, when he's at the bar and like Evelyn is asking about him and stuff, James, the character, is acting kind of shyly self-conscious in a way that I assume is just one-to-one with how the actor playing James feels in that scene right. at that moment. Like, I suspect that the guy who plays James was just reacting the way he was reacting right, it's like, to this woman, like, aggressively coming like, on to hey, him. Hey, dumb kid, we're going to put you in a scene with a legit femme fatale. Anyway, right. goodbye. <laughs> goodbye anything that is I'm in your life. I'm going to press record on this and just do and it. <laughs> watch you just melt. Yeah, exactly. Watch you just lamely melt. Yep. Because... She does fine, but, like, it's hard to act against James. But at the same time, like, everything in that scene other than James is at least presenting as fully legitimate to sort of the style that they're aiming for. Right. But it has James Well, I mean, she does perfectly fine in that. It's just that it's in the middle of a show in a context where it's completely baffling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of – did you ever see Almost Famous? Yeah. It reminds me of the way that they the – uh, Patrick Fugit, who plays the main character in that, he's like a 15-year-old kid in the middle of this world of, like, sex and drugs and rock and roll. Right. And he spends the entire time just being kind just of wide-eyed a, about the whole thing. Being slightly afraid yeah, of the Yeah, and entire- I'm sure that's because the actual actor, who is basically a rookie actor... Yeah, but that's also kind felt. of, like, the point of that movie. I know. Whereas that's not the point of this scene, I don't think. It's kind of... I think you're supposed to get a little bit of that from James. Yeah, it feels too real though. Like yeah. it feels there's a, there's a, like there's a tunnel disconnect there, and yeah. it's it's funny because just like the it's a it's a whole new set for that scene. It feels mm-hmm. like like they just from a like effort in to effort out standpoint. What a what a they must be bummed. Like the yeah, <laughs> or like like that whole thing was just lit really nicely. Mm-hmm. It was it was shot well. Had the actors been really punchy and had that storyline mattered just from like a visual standpoint, I think it would have felt really legit yeah, legit sure. twin peaks. Mm-hmm. But instead you're just like what what am I watching right yeah. now? And then so we get to their uh her her garage with the car and man, we just get some like prime James is like in touch with himself 
in this episode in a way that is weird and noticeable. Where, like, because he turns on the music first and like has this whole experience, and then like we see him at the opening of the episode just being on the open road to with himself, and then even when he's like in a scene with this this beautiful woman who's putting him in this situation. And I guess this was what he was, this was the blocking. This is what he was directed to do. But like, he just walks into the foreground, staring beyond the camera and just soliloquizes. He's just like, you know, she's like, where do you, where do you, where do you want to go? Or do you, you know, I'm just not as my bike looks is where it can take me. Oh, where do you want to go? It's less of a place and more of a feeling. And he just, he walks away from her and stares out like beyond the foreground of the shot to just talk to himself about yep. his feelings. Imagine being her at that moment and watching I, him do this. Apparently so she liked it because she was like, I'll give you room, board, and anything else that you think is uh, appropriate or yeah. whatever. Of like, right. excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> yep. As you just watched this like 16-year-old boy walk off into the distance and just start talking to himself about the open road after yeah. he drank a beer with you. Like, yep. what is happening? It's so strange. It's so <laughs> He's bizarre. probably not 16. He's probably 18. Yeah. Anyway. He said he was 18. That's that. <laughs> so that's that. My uh, my only notes for that scene were cut to rich lady's house, James looking at a car, help. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about Andy, Dick, and Lucy real quick? <laughs> yes. Andy, Dick, and Lucy sounds like a bad spinoff also. It's true. Oh my God, you're right. That could have been in another world. A very, not very that different last world. For, there's a new Frost Lynch Productions series. It's a spinoff of Twin Peaks. Andy, Dick, and Lucy. Yep. It would have lasted half a season. Yep. And then- it would not have lasted that. That pilot would have aired at three in the morning or something. <laughs> where the, like just, I think at the height of Twin Peaks fever, it could have lasted That's true. A, a wacky comedy that's just about Andy getting hit in the head with a... Like, the intro <laughs> The intro to that show well, this- is Andy getting hit in the head with a plank, then Andy getting spun off a bar stool. Well, right. That's what I'm saying. This scene is the one that... So this scene comes too late for this show to have been spun off during Twin Peaks fever. But this scene would have been the one where this fucking... Oh, like, man, and then the opening credits say, demon... with little Nikki, and it's got, like, Exactly, him. yes. Yeah. Exactly. That is that is the setup. It's, it's Andy, Dick, and Lucy, and, like, is their that, foster kid, or, like, their yeah, big brother program. They're saddled with this... Who's gonna be the dad? Yeah, right. Oh, man. Yep, promise to pay that off at the end of the season or whatever. Um, uh, yes. There's a new mystery in Twin Peaks. <laughs> Well, that's okay. That's how the trailer for Andy, Dick, and Lucy would start. It's right, but a then, new mystery Twin Peaks. But then it would be like, and then it just immediately cuts to little Nikki spitting yeah, whipped cream onto Dick right, Tremaine's ex- face, and exactly, then Lucy yeah. like, mm-hmm. one of you is gonna be the dad, or you're out. <laughs> <laughs> Can't take care of this kid. How could I trust you to take care of my future child? It also has that. It's uh, there's yeah. the same three tracks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone, God, someone could easily make this trailer yes. based on footage from Twin Peaks. Someone could make this fake trailer. Yeah, very, you you then include the like some other network TV commercial from the same era. Then it sort of fuzzes into right. You love Twin a new mystery in Twin yep. Peaks. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I actually liked the scene in the double R with Dick and Andy and that kid. I thought I it was too. fine. Yeah, me too. Like, Main, this, mainly, this is actually like some of my favorite stuff of this arc in a long time just because mm-hmm. it's the, those two actors actually delivered a successful sort of comedy performance, yeah, I thought. I, no, I agree. I, I, was, uh, I was totally sold on it when the kid turns it around by also... 
by also throwing Andy off the stool. Right, exactly. Well, this the whole episode or this whole episode I feel like the guy who plays Andy did a really good job when he when he when he tells the kid I can go out with. I'll take you both out for a malt, and then he looks like a malted Dick, or a malted, and then Dick Dick Tremaine looks disgusted, and Andy looks at Dick, and then just looks surprised that Dick doesn't want to go <laughs> for a malt. Yeah, I thought that, I was like, okay, this probably is actually going to be good. Whatever's mm-hmm, going on mm-hmm. here, but I also like. I also like though. So that, there's that moment where Andy's just trying to be a nice guy, but then I also like that in the diner when Dick gets the stuff sprayed all over him. Andy very self-righteously it's like, it's like, like, well, I'm sure it was an accident or, or whatever. Right. But then the second that it's turned on him, he's like completely wounded and yeah. like, shocked. <laughs> it looked like he actually got hurt also. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah. He also – like This was a totally appropriate place for Dick Tremaine's just like ridiculous just, grin. Just, just smug, <laughs> shit-eating yeah. grin. Yeah. yeah, those guys just like being their own versions of self-satisfied really played really yeah, well. I, I, yes, I agree. Also – the 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 physical acting of flying off that barstool was actually really good. Just I know, like, yeah. yeah. It was like Tobias Fungay level mm-hmm. uh, bad fall. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, that's it. That was it was kind of a fun scene. But what have we got, got left? We got Ben Horn. We got the mill plot. Yeah, we got Josie and Catherine. I guess that's the mill plot. Yep. Oh, it's, it's the mill plot. It's the mill. Pl- <laughs> you know, it's the mill plot because half of it consists of someone just talking. With nothing happening, just b- blathering on about exposition yep. for like three and minutes. And then a straight. new twist is introduced out of the show's Out of ass. absolutely nothing. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Ugh. Man, who would have thought that Andrew Packard is still alive? Nobody, because his murder is what set off the mill plot. <laughs> he's alive, though, it turns out. It turns yeah, out. it turns out he's just hanging out in turns that room. It turns out the whole thing was wrapped in one more conspiracy between, <laughs> between Catherine and Andrew all along. Their plan is going just according to plan. She was planning on being burned alive at the mill and hiding out in a house for half the show. That's why, her, that's why she was so convincing at Tajamura. She'd been, she'd been planning that. She, that, it, she commissioned that disguise years ago from a master disguiseman. That's still inexplicable entire thing, by the way. Did she just hire some Asian guy to just follow her around? Like, what, what was all of that? That, that was actually Andrew Packard in a better disguise. <laughs> God, everything about this is nonsensical. Yep. Also, boring Mr. Lee, I guess, he's still here. He works for Mr. Eckhart, the most boring character on the show. The guy who does nothing. Was Has he been in the show? Eckhart? Doesn't he the guy? Oh, Eckhart? No. He's been discussed previously, right? That name has come up? Or am I I don't even remember him ever, Eckhart ever coming up. Maybe he didn't ever come up. I just, I, I mean, I'm just like... <laughs> Maybe I was the, tricked. The, like, the, um... <laughs> Twin Peaks trick, the characters all know everything and are comfortable with it, so I'm like, it's probably part of the story. <laughs> I guess, I guess Mr. Lee slash Jonathan did have one pretty good moment where he beat the shit out of Hank. That was pretty fun. <laughs> That's true. Other than that, he only exists, though, to, like... To be just, an ominous to be Asian a, to man. Be a, just, yeah, just be a spoke on this dumb plot that spins forever. Yeah, well, like, he spent... A long ass time, it feels like, where his job was just to lower a newspaper exactly, and look yes. suspicious. Yep, exactly. Like that's a character from Get Smart or something. <laughs> right. Like it's true. Yeah. Oh man. Also, this this part, you know, right before the the reveal of Packard, um, has one of the most uncomfortable and like crazy moments in this series when. Catherine when Catherine's just like, just like you'll presses, be my maid. Yeah, presses Josie into like indentured servitude. It's bizarre. It's really gross. Like yeah. the, the language she I mean, it's like starts off and you're like, oh, okay, she 
when this okay, where it's like it's going to be another like got one up on you thing. Yeah. Well, because it started off and she at the beginning she's like, oh, I, you know, I've I have no interest in like anything other than just getting back down to business and figuring out how to get things done. And I'm like, oh, okay, classic Catherine. Like she's you know yep. just like moving to the. And then she's like, anyway, uh, my breakfast will be taken at seven. Don't talk at. Yeah, to me. it's kind of a bummer. It's, it kind of man. It, it kind of ruins everything about like this arc has been stupid, but it's always at least been fun to watch these three characters when they're being like ruthless business people, and they like the disconnect from it being personal, like right, or they take their personal vengeance out in like crazy, hilarious '80s business maniacal ways so for this to just be like you're just a gross slave is like oh yeah die like screw screw this like i'm out i I basically since it this this explanation kind of like retroactively makes josie a gross slave forever forever the past yeah like it, it, it it's revealed that even when she was being one of the sort of wheeling and dealing power brokers in this plot she still wasn't she's was being played by everyone yeah yeah what a bummer what a yeah what a it lame bummer yeah it's it it these characters are at their best when they are literally or metaphorically chomping cigars at each other and <laughs> to turn that into just this into just yeah. gross subservience is really yeah, uh, it, yeah it's crappy it, yes it is bizarre i mean like she's basically being offered the chance to save herself from a life of shitty servitude by being given a life of shitty servitude. Like, what's the point of that as a plot or as just like a human? There's good versions of that kind of thing. And I I mean, maybe they're trying for the same sort of like feeling that with like Shelly leaves Leo for Bobby, but this is just an ass. That's totally different though, because that's Shelly. Like that's, I mean, Shelly is making kind of a dumb choice, but she's making a choice. You know, like she's yeah. Like you're she's, right. She makes like, a choice oh, that then traps herself in the same situation she was in before. Whereas right. in this case, Josie this is, is just, just like Josie a getting ball beat up. that is bouncing yeah. between. Nah, it's, like, it's so it yeah. was it was incredibly uncomfortable, but not in the way that anything in Twin Peaks has been uncomfortable to me before, other than just occasional stupid right. latent racism or stuff like yeah, that. Well, because well, things, things are was just things like, are uncomfortable whoa, because they're making, like poorly pitched tone. But this is like an actual. This is just like you've, plot decision you've made like, a yeah. really horrible choice, Twin Peaks, and I don't like yeah, it yep. at all. Yeah, it really bummed me out. Yep. On the opposite end of the cigar chomping spectrum, though, is the Ben Horn home movie scene. Unless you've got more Josie stuff you want to talk about. No, no, not really. Because um, I, I, you said that you really but, liked. Oh. I, yeah, yeah. Before we get to before we get to that, there's just the the lead up to that where Norma. I guess not really the lead up to that. I guess they're, but like the, Hank and. Yeah, that's the. It's. I just want to get out of the way in case anyone has anything to say about it. The only thing I want to point out <laughs> is Norma asking how your how's your hunting expedition and Hank saying a little fatiguing while wearing. Oh man, fatigues. that was bad. Yeah, that, that made pretty, me really bad, made me really bummed. And then she's like, "Catch anything? I hope not." Like, oh yeah, eat mm-hmm. shit. <laughs> anyway, so that's that. We're done with that. I was really now, glad that she just threw. Oh, threw Ernie out of the show yeah, basically. Yeah, it's yeah, like my mom's gone. You should be gone. Yep. Like correct, mm-hmm. <laughs> correct. Yep. Get out of here. That one character actor who's in a bunch of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, although I will say that I think that character actor does a pretty good job. Yeah. I, maybe he's actually might be a known guy. I feel like I see that. Like that's a face. He's, he's been in a lot. He's of a stuff. face who I don't know, but is in everything yes, ever of, of that period for, for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He did. He did a good job actually. But mm-hmm. like that whole thread. He's very convincingly world weary to me. Yeah. Uh, all right. So then anyway, we also that guy's apparently a cocaine dealer. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we get to Ben in the Great Northern in his little office room, 
I just love this scene. It's it's just it's just Ben Horn. To- this scene feels like a tiny little bubble of like old like glory days Twin Peaks to me. Yes, totally. Made made even more novel by the fact that we've never we've only seen glimpses of Ben Horn in this mode when he's re- generally when he's reminiscing with his brother yep. about their childhood, which has only happened like once or twice. Um and happens often via flashback or still versus still in kind of a self-aware mode of like, of like chomping on a sandwich or whatever. And yeah. Like kind of winking. Like he's really being satisfied about the fact that he's remembering with his brother almost. Right. Whereas this is just like, this he's lost in his reverie yeah. in, a, in a way that is, it's really nice. I, I probably for this character to have gotten or this actor to have gotten a chance to just totally dive in into this. And he totally justifies it. He's sort of, you know, haggard and like it actually makes Ben Horn and all the stuff he's gone through recently feel a lot more much, real. Yes, much more sympathetic. Like yeah. he's smoking a cigar, he tears up, he's looking haggard, he quotes yeah. Richard the Third, he kisses his mom on projected film. Yeah. It's it's nice. It's a nice And there's moment. still like there's still elements of sort of uncomfortable, weird Ben Horn creepiness about the entire thing. Yeah, the whole thing. He, uh, yeah, he exudes kind of a just like mm, <laughs> weirdness. Like, but it's, it's like what you you feel sympathetic for, but at the same time, you're like you are also just a damaged, weird, dangerous person. At the mm-hmm. same time as the whole as the whole scene is happening. Mm-hmm. But then and then Hank shows up and just eats his lunch in a stupid way. Yep. Also, Ben Horn lists the number of things he's been through recently, which is kind of I, you know, I was I was watching this with Sarah, and she was like, "Why is he so like? What's he so?" When the scene starts, she's like, "What's he so like upset about? He got, you know, he's not arrested anymore, and like this." But then when you when he actually lists how all the bullshit he's gone through in the amount of time, you, like it's so easy to it's forget like his week. This has all happened. In, Did like, he talk the about last... Audrey being kidnapped in that list of stuff? I don't think, I don't think he even lists that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> also, I don't understand how I don't understand how a privately held business, which is what I assume One Eyed Jacks is, it's obviously not publicly traded. I don't. Maybe I'm just not enough There's of a business person. There's been a friendly person. takeover. I, don't, yeah, I feel I don't like understand how a private business can be have a hostile takeover. I feel like what that actually means is that One Eye Jacks is a criminal enterprise and that he has just been pushed out. Like, there's no way but if he owns it. Yeah, I guess it's just what. I like, mean, I feel like he he is the owner the way that like. You could be, you'd be the owner of like like an illegal gambling you get an illegal joint. gambling yeah, joint, okay, but then someone's like yeah. you're out. Like I feel like it's more like a mob move, right? Than a he, business he doesn't thing. he doesn't own the lien on the he doesn't I mean, maybe own a deed in a bank somewhere. I mean I don't know though because the place is a legitimate like presents as a legitimate operation, yeah, right? I assume it feels like they're just being really wishy washy about this, yeah. and yeah, where he's like no, like what? I mean. Maybe it was fished out from under him. It's a building in Canada, and he's a guy in in Washington. Like maybe so, there was some crazy business deal. Yeah. But it really just seems like it seemed like the most hollow, weird threat. And I didn't, yeah, like I didn't understand what it was supposed yeah. to mean. Mm-hmm. But the show acted as if it meant that, like, that it was real. And right. Ben Ben Horn accepted it as like mm-hmm. somehow he was out schemed just by way of someone declaring him to by be way of Jean right. Renault walking in last episode and being like, gentlemen, let's get to work. And then mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, I guess what they did was pick up a bunch of drugs and somehow usurp one eye jacks from Ben Horn off camera. Right. What yeah. a bummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, there is a hilarious scene though, when Hank leaves and Ben is like 
mocking him. Just like, you're out, Ben. Ben, you're out. Yep. And he's sort of like capering around and making shadow puppets on the yep. on the screen. He's basically like in that scene to me, he felt like the 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 new Ray Wise role. I mean, yep. no no Bob or anything, none of that. But just in terms of like sort of like older middle aged man, kind of just being crazy on yep. screen with himself. Yep. Uh, that was... And, I mean, I'm fine with that. That actor's actually I'm been totally pretty... Because like, it. it's a different take on it. Like, yeah. it's not the same at all. It's like, it's more antic and, and, and you know, and less sort of insane, insane. Oh, this is to totally jump off into space. But speaking of horns, I was really glad that Audrey and Cooper actually had, like, a tiny moment in this episode together. Oh, yeah. Where they were dancing. Because I keep forgetting that Audrey's even a character in the show. Yeah. But well she goes away for long periods of time. Yeah. Right? When she came back most recently she hadn't been on it for a while, yep. as I recall, yeah. Um not much anyway. What's left to even That's talk all that's about. all I got. Yeah. So I don't know, what do you what do you think about this up? We didn't do our sort of overall thoughts at the beginning. What do you what do you what's your take? I don't know, talking about it ended up making me more positive on it than when we went into the room about this yeah, episode, me but too, it's probably just, there were you said the compartmentalized. There were numerous tiny scenes and moments and character ticks and sort of just interesting choices in this episode that I liked. And I mean, I guess that's kind of what you have to get out of Twin Peaks at this run in the sh- at this part in its run because the story lines are not intriguing in any way. Like, I mean, yeah. we didn't talk at all about the details of Cooper being under investigation or about Wyndham Earl or about anything involving the mill or like none of that stuff. Like, it's just. Mm-hmm. It just is like it's a nothing. It, <laughs> yep. Um, yep. A lot of spinning wheels at this point. Yeah. It. I mean, at this point, I'm kind of watching to enjoy all these small moments, and also watching just so that I can have everything fresh in my mind when we get to the last few episodes, which mm-hmm. I I haven't seen them as we've talked about before, but I'm excited for what I know is David Lynch popping in just at the last minute and sort of saying, "Oh, here's kind of what I think." About all the stuff that we've been seeing. Goodbye. Show's over. Like, yep. so that's, I, you know, I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I basically, I, I basically agree. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, yeah. I don't have much to add to that. Yeah. Cool. Yep. <laughs> you want to do, you want to do some reader mail? Yeah. Call it a day. I can't wait till the spoiler section where we talk about all the crazy stuff and how it, <laughs> I don't think we need a spoiler section this week. No, I don't think Unless so. Unless you've got really pressing things. Yeah. Uh, all right, so Aaron. Aaron Maybe we're gonna give away the end of the of the like Dick and Andy taking care of little Nikki arc. So yeah, that where that goes is may shock people who haven't seen the show yet. So <laughs> uh, Norma and Norma's mother uh, from Aaron Power. He writes, "Hey thumbs, while you were discussing <laughs> Vivian's review of her daughter's diner and how she didn't want to violate ethics by giving her daughter a good review, I believe she used the review to make another remark against Norma, since the quality of Norma's food is brought up." In a positive light again this episode, it makes me feel the writers wanted to emphasize that Vivian's only interest in writing the review is to have one more critique against her daughter, like we are led to believe happened to Norma throughout her childhood. Aaron from Dublin, Ireland. It's probably it's probably true. That's that, probably the intention. Yeah. I just felt it was... That she was kind of basically just hate eating the food because it was Norma's food to have a dig against it. Like, Norma could have cooked the most amazing meal in the world. Right. And she would have found only things wrong with it and they would have been what was right. in the and then, That's probably- and then very pointedly said, I'm only doing my job yep. to, you know... Yeah. yeah. No, that's 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 fair. That's probably correct. Uh, Velen writes, "Hi, Chris and Jake. I love Twin Peaks rewatch. You guys do a great job, and I appreciate the effort you put into the episodes. But <laughs> having watched the series already, I prefer it 
I find I prefer to listen to Twin Peaks Rewatch before watching an episode so I can keep an eye out for things you mention. I remember hearing on Idle Thumbs, also great by the way, that one or both of you studied film and it shows. The way you guys talk about film techniques is fascinating and some of the best stuff in the podcast. Can you think of any other podcasts that could help fill this gap in my education? Or will you be moving on to another series once Twin Peaks is finished? Thanks for the podcast. You guys rock. Regards, Valen. So, Jake, you studied film in college. I studied film for a, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think, I don't, know if it, I don't know if any of the stuff we talk about really comes from a film education as much as just being yeah. dorks or kind of just obsessed film, but, with, yeah. the, with the creation of visual media in general. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, a lot of it actually comes from working in the games industry for years because yeah. the, the specific language of film is different, but just sort of anything. Uh, having to be very conscious about what, the person experiencing the thing you're making is going to be seeing at yep. every moment. And also being able to kind of, I think you get, although it's not hundred percent accurate, I think you get a better attuned sense for what might've gone into making a decision or where a choice came from, mm-hmm. or sort of being able to backfill how, a, like how something was produced, I think just also comes from, it helps to have a job where you just end up having to make stuff all the time that ends up being a packaged entertainment product. Mm-hmm. Also, I think this is, maybe self-evident, but I really feel like just doing podcasts about anything for like the last six years, almost straight just makes you better at this. Yeah. Doing a podcast every week where you have to try to bring a considered opinion about anything. Like that's not to say that you have the most considered or most thoughtful or correct opinion, but it makes your brain always ask why is this happening? What do I think about this? What does this mean? What is interesting? Like, can I, mm. what salient things am I getting from this and try to, it makes you actually really conscious of the works that you're viewing, mm. not like in a critical way, but just like it makes you pay attention to it because you, well, in a, in a critical, in the sense of evaluative rather than a critical in the sense of like, yeah, not like, Oh, negative, this is negative about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I agree. Yeah. Um, and so, also, thanks for that. It's nice to hear. Yeah. So, do you have any other podcasts? You listen to at least one film podcast, right? Yeah, I, I listen to a film podcast, but like the po- the film podcasts that I listen to are way more just sort of dorks talking about movies and not like any critical studies stuff. Yeah. I don't. I don't really know. I mean, I'm sure there are some really, really good, like critical discussion film podcasts out there that are entirely that are that are more sort of focused on like technique and production and dis- and that sort of mm-hmm. decision making stuff but I don't really know. Yeah. Actually, man, I this is a thing that I have not watched, but um Robert Rodriguez apparently has a his own the filmmaker who made uh like From Dust Till Dawn and El Mariachi and stuff has a t- a cable TV network I guess called the El Rey network or maybe it's Crazy. online. But one of the shows that he does that was just recommended to me is a 45 minute sit down interview with a director of where they just discuss oh, cool. a film. And the episode that was most recently recommended is he sits down and talks with Coppola about the conversation. Oh, man. Yeah. I would watch that for sure. And apparently that was paired with the network then airing the film. So, like, that's, right. like, um, if you could look for that stuff, I don't remember what it's called, but, like, I've heard yeah. good things about that series, which is just to yeah. a film director talking to another film director about their film and then screening the film. Like, that's probably awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, as for us... We've talked about maybe doing a when the new when the final series season of Mad Men comes on. We've talked about doing a companion podcast, like a seven episode, yeah, series. just like a seven episode series that would be different than this, and that it would be not a rewatch because we'd be watching those episodes for the first time along with everyone else, and they would come out after you know one after It'd be each, like a reaction after podcast. each episode, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and then if we have time to do that, I would still like to do it. Um, it'll just come down to our schedules. Yep. Um, that's, that's the only one of these that we've, we've ever talked about. We've talked yeah. about specifically. Yeah. But I, I like doing this. I like doing, it's very different from the other podcast we do, which is ge- about the video, video game general. discussion. Yeah. Um, it's fun doing one that's about such a specific topic. Yep. Um, I think that's all I got for now. There's, there's more mail that I can read next week. Um, I'm sure we'll have plenty of slow episodes to fill up with this kind of generalized reader mail. Yep. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening to Twin Peaks Rewatch. Uh, if you liked it, uh, as this reader did, thanks, reader, uh, listener. Um, <laughs> why not tell a friend? That would be great. Or give us a review on iTunes. That would also be great. Those things help us out a lot. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Peaks Rewatch, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. Uh, our website is twinpeaksrewatch.com uh, our soundcloud page is soundcloud.com slash twinpeaksrewatch and uh, you can send us email for us to read and respond to here at twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net yep also if you go we have a um, really active really cool forum community if yes. you want to actually dive deeper into the discussion of the of these episodes and especially the our forum community is really into the actual like a lot more than we are, I think, into the history of of the production of the episodes, into sort of things that got cut or didn't happen, into the stories behind the stories of the making of these episodes. Mm-hmm. The forums are full of that every week. It's yes. really awesome. So if you go to TwinPeaksRewatch.com and hit the forums link at the top, you can scroll down and find the Twin Peaks Rewatch forum. It's There's there's really cool stuff in there. We, we, yes. we pull from it on episodes probably less than we should, actually. But um, yeah. check it out. Cool. Thanks for listening. See you Thanks. guys next week. Bye. Man, who killed Laura Palmer? (laughs) Episode 19, Mind If I Punch the Box?